Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this is episode 30, Jamaican Witches with Shannon Smart. Oh, Shannon was such a delight to have on the show. I really like having, like, debuting authors on the show because we just get to nerd out with them. And I feel like they're as excited to be here as we are excited to have them. Absolutely. We cover so much about Jamaican folklore, about English folklore, about the process of writing and making a novel and putting it out to the world for the first time. And Shannon is just a delightful person, you're definitely going to want to pick up her book. So as always, you can find links to her websites and social and where you can pick up her new book, her debut novel, which is Steeped in Gold in the description. Yep. Pick it up. Pick it up. It's so good. I really, really loved it. Speaking of really, really loving books, Julia, what have you been reading, watching and listening to this week that I also can pick up? So, Amanda, I took a a little vacation, you know, last week and had a great time. And one of my favorite things to do while I'm away is just like lay out on a blanket and read a book because Mm -hmm. obviously. And one of my favorite authors, Becky Chambers, just put out a brand new book called The Galaxy and the Ground Within. You have heard me rant about how much I love The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet and all of her Wayfarer series books. And this is the final book in the series. And it was very sweet. And it left me feeling very melancholy in the best kind of way. Definitely pick it up if you like cozy sci-fi, which more people should write cozy sci-fi because then I could read more cozy sci-fi books. But Becky Chambers, is the master of it. Oh, that sounds so good. I definitely will. Yay. Do you know who I would invite onto my cozy spaceship? Is it our new patrons? Our new patrons, Jay Bebe and Marie. What delightful names to say. You join the distinguished ranks of the 400 plus people who are our patrons. Most notably, our supporting producer level patrons. One of their benefits is having their name read every episode because we so appreciate them and rely on their support. So thank you to Alicia, Allison, Brian, Deborah, Hannah, Jane, Jessica K, Jessica S, Justin, Keegan, Nieselkins, Liz, Megan Linger, Megan Moon, Phil Fresh, Polly, Captain Jonathan, Malachi, Cosmos, Sarah, Scott, Skyla, and Zazie. What wonderful folks. I want to go on a voyage across the stars with all of them. Uh, so true. And thank you to our legend level patrons who are about to get a, uh, a lovely kind of like little spirits book club box in the mail. Audra, Chimera or Change, Clara, Drew, Jack Marie, Key, Lada, Morgan, Necro Royalty, Renegade, Taylor, and BME Up Scotty. The names in the legend level patrons are just getting better and better. Honestly, extremely good. Extremely good. Extremely good. Uh, Well, thank you all so very, very much for your support. And if you are looking for another way to get more multitude content, to hang out with us more, maybe even to see our mouths saying words and like hearing our voices but coming out of faces, which is a disconcerting thing when you see it for the first time, but also kind of cool, you can watch some multitude digital live shows. All of the digital live shows that we have done are archived on our website where you can pick up a video on demand copy and watch it back, even if you are listening in the future and want to see the past shows. They are there for you at multitude.productions slash live, as well as links to all of our upcoming live shows. And right now we are preparing for a live show next week as of when this episode comes out for Join the Party. It is so exciting. We are doing a uh, a summery, springy, easy breezy, beautiful one shot set in Lake Town City where Julia and I both play superheroes and it is incredibly fun. And no matter whether you listen to Join the Party, if you're caught up, if you're catching up on a previous campaign, all of it is good. You won't get spoiled or need to know anything really background knowledge wise to enjoy the show. I'm getting ready. I'm getting all of my sleeves are getting cut off of my shirts. Oh, yeah. It's summertime. 
time, baby. Incredible. So links to the Join the Party live show on May 13th and all previous live shows are at multitude.productions slash live. So without further ado, we hope you love this conversation with Shannon Smart as much as we did. Enjoy Spirits Podcast episode 230, Jamaican Witches. Julia and I are so excited to have Shannon Smart with us on the show today. Shannon, could you please tell our audience who you are and the amazing stuff that you write? Hi, everyone. I am Shannon Smart, and I'm debuting with a Jamaican-inspired YA fantasy called Witches Steeped in Gold. It follows two enemies from rival orders who are forced to unite in order to take down a mutual enemy, and that is kind of my brand. I tend to write about girls getting into trouble and girls who are up to no good, fighting, horrible people, worse people than them, um, just so you're never confused about who to root for. Awesome. That is definitely our brand as well. So that's we're very happy to have you here. We love that. Girls behaving badly and uh, and uniting with people that society wants them to hate is the best. It is. So I know that you were born in England uh, and your family is from Jamaica. And in your book, you talk a little bit at the beginning about how you didn't really grow up with Jamaican mythology and folklore and stuff like that. And you learned about the story that would inspire which is steeped in gold when you went on a family trip to Jamaica. Can you tell us a little bit about how, like, the origin of the story here? Of course. Um, I wish I could say that it was a dark and stormy night, but <laughs> Jamaica is bright and beautiful. And um, we visited Rose Hall, which is a plantation in Jamaica. And it was owned by this woman, um, Annie Palmer. And she owned it with her three husbands, not all at the same time. She used her um, her slaves. They practiced opium magic. They brought with them to Jamaica from Africa. And she um, entreated them to help her kill her husbands, so the legend goes. And I was 11. Um, I was completely hooked. I was like, wow, this woman sounds like a badass. I mean, she's, she's evil, undeniably so, but also um, using this dark magic to kill off her husbands. I was also just, I just thought it was pretty cool I loved Sabrina the Teenage Witch and so learning that my own culture had witches and had magic um, was really exciting for me so I bought the book and I read the book and I probably should have waited a few years to read the book I wasn't scared or anything I you know I think my my childhood as the only girl with all brothers like prepared me to there wasn't really much I, I was afraid of it was a little mature there were some things I probably should have waited to read about but I I loved this dark branch of magic that was feared and is still feared um in fact when i was talking about it with my jamaican aunts and um, they were just like you know leave that alone that's not for you you don't want to touch that but it, it took a few years for me to return back to that childhood trip the mansion was beautiful but also it felt a little bit gothic it felt quite dark the tour guides they definitely hammed up the whole her ghost has been spotted around this house and people have taken pictures and they've seen her appear in in like pieces of furniture and whatever it was a very magical experience that stayed with me over the next 10 or so years I was about to turn 12 when I visited the house that time and I yeah I wouldn't start writing the book until I was like 20 22 23 yeah there's something about that time in just like a young 
girl's life where you're just like, yeah, I'm going to get into like really creepy stuff. Yeah. I'm just going to get really into crystals and magic and like make weird potions on the playground and stuff like that. And I, I love that that's a universal experience for a lot of girls. We were all doing it. I mean, there's no shame in talking about it now. Mine was definitely, we have like a wheelbarrow in our garden and I definitely like took some red berries from one of the trees out there and put it in there and <laughs> made a potion. Yeah. I love that. We all were there. We all tried that. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I absolutely love that it, this was just like a single story that kind of stuck with you over a decade and kind of inspired the the book here. And I absolutely loved it as I read it. I have a couple of questions, I guess, before we just start getting into like deeper Jamaican mythology and folklore with you regarding the book. I don't want to spoil anything, so don't give like too much away, I guess, because we want our listeners to make sure that they pick up the book. But I, I really liked the uh, the use of color that you talk about in the book uh, in terms of like the different orders or you use the phrase metiers to kind of show the different orders of magic and each one is kind of a different color. What what inspired that? Because I've definitely seen that in mythology before, but was there a specific thing that inspired that kind of uh, choice? Definitely. So because um, the African diaspora, lots of the slaves who were um, shipped over to Jamaica came from various African countries and when I was researching this book what I really loved about Africa as a, as a continent was its use of color. I loved the kente fabric and how the different colors had different meanings and although this book is it's inspired by Jamaica. Jamaica is kind of like a patchwork as far as the people who live there where they've come from. So I drew from a lot of different places uh, when I was researching this book and the Kente fabric, the fact that the colours had meanings I really loved and I knew immediately that I wanted to use that in the in the world building of witches. I noticed and I recognised a couple of, you know, very African inspired or, you know, direct from African mythology references in the book. You specifically use Anansi as, if I can quote you at you for a second, the great spider god and brother to our matriarchal pantheon of gods and goddesses. So I know that you're using like straight from African diaspora mythology in the book, but you also created a bunch of your own gods and goddesses as well. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So Africa, they have a really strong, the continent has a really strong pantheon of gods and goddesses. And I loved that. But uh, in Jamaica, it's, there's a few, there's like the goddess of water and it sort of didn't fulfill the purpose that I wanted it to fulfill and I didn't want to butcher that or disrespect it so I created my own sort of uh, group of gods and goddesses I tried to use Spanish names uh, I think I read an article actually where the the governor was saying that, that he wanted or I think it was the governor uh, Spanish was as much a native language in Jamaica as Patois so I I uh, wanted to incorporate like little tiny things like giving the gods and goddesses Spanish names and then drawing from like various different pantheons the different gods that they have the titles the their like usage and how people worship them so yeah it's a bit of a I sort of have drawn from a lot of places and try to be respectful um, as far as coming up with my own mythology um, so as not to yeah offend Absolutely. Do you have a personal favorite of the ones that you uh, created? I know that's a, that's like having to choose your children, but I'm just curious. I do like the idea of a seven-faced god. So um, mm -hmm. 
Witches is in, it's in a few book boxes and one of them they have drawn the seven-faced mother and it just looks really cool. She's holding like, or they rather, are holding um, masks, the various masks that they would put on to, to assume the personalities of these various gods. So I like, I it's a bit of a cop-out, isn't it? I'm picking all of them. But, <laughs> all of them. <laughs> yeah, but I do like the idea that, because, yeah, I don't know, religion is, it's difficult to sort of, pinned down various religions different beliefs and so on and so forth so I, I did like this idea of one kind of being with these various faces it's a little bit of a mystery to me as well and some of my um my copy edit notes they were like so can you elaborate on this god and I was like eh, I mean I can but I also can't you know <laughs> there's like a bit of a mystery even to me about this uh, deity yeah and no worshiper really knows the full breadth of their god so that absolutely makes sense yeah yes that's what i told her <laughs> <laughs> you uh you focus a lot on ancestral magic in the books specifically for these warring factions was there a reason that you decided that was the way to go for your magic system rather than like oh we just learned the magic you know as various others do yeah definitely there's like a huge amount of respect for the dead in jamaican culture so we celebrate them across nine nights their their life is celebrated across nine nights and i just thought that that was such an awesome way to honor the departed and to to keep them in your hearts and to keep them present and so for me jamaica's history is the strength of its history is um, not contingent upon, but definitely has strong roots in the past. And those who have come before figures like uh, Nanny of the Maroons, who have formed such a an important part in the past, of course, but definitely they informed the future also. So for me, it was just about respecting this, the past, and having really strong ties to your family and where you've come from and who you are. And that could definitely be like analysed that because I didn't really grow up hearing these stories and then finally hearing them and connecting with a side of my family that I hadn't, I wasn't as close to as my relatives who live in England because... Obviously, I, I wouldn't get out to Jamaica like every year. Um, so yeah, you could definitely say that as I was connecting with my past and I was thinking about how important it was on a personal level that the ancestral magic, it took on its shape from the island's history, but then also my my understanding as I was studying. I love that. What were the sort of mythology and folklore that you did grow up with? Like, did you and your friends tell scary stories at sleepovers? Or were there any kind of like local, you know, hometown legends that you did have in your hometown in England? I mean, where I live, the reality was terrifying enough, I think. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. It was scary enough. enough, you know, without the stories. But there was always like the bogeyman. That's kind of like a universal one, isn't it? Like, yeah. um, and scary stories like, I'm sure, again, it's another universal one where two people were sat in a car and one of them gets out to like, they've heard a noise and then you need a hand. There's this ominous voice from the dark and then this bloody arm is thrown across the windshield. Like all of those kind of classics. I mean, I read more than I heard. Mm -hmm. I read Goosebumps and I loved Point Horror. So all of those kind of like, what happens in the mall after dark the mannequins come to life and <laughs> <laughs> that's like a doctor who episode i was just it? gonna say yeah they wreak havoc and they terrorize and and gremlins i watched that as a kid as well and that other one where the toys came to life or was that in gremlins i don't even remember but i kind of yeah i was always surrounded by scary things which is why i think i'm just a bit inured to, to them I'm like yeah this person's belly is cut and their like entrails fall out but you know it's no big deal <laughs> classic 
You mentioned Nanny of the Maroons, and then you briefly mentioned the Rolling Calves. So I want you to tell me the the beautiful stories of Jamaica. Honestly, here we are. Well, Nanny of the Maroons, she was actually called a she was called a witch, an Obia witch, and she um, led a resistance from the Blue Mountains. So although which is deep in gold is not a historical fantasy, um, I definitely did pillage some very real world beings that I put in this book. And one of them was the Blue Mountains. I loved the story of how these formerly enslaved Africans who uh, led a coup against the occupation on the island, and they were using these military tactics that the um, soldiers occupying were totally unfamiliar with. And it was, and because they didn't understand it, they didn't know it, they called it witchcraft and magic. I loved this idea of like perception versus reality and playing with that um, theme in the book. And then the rolling calf was definitely something I heard when I was 11 and I went to Jamaica, this like massive bull who would sort of hunker down at the crossroads with his neck of chains and his glowing red eyes. And um, it was a duppy, it was a ghost. And um, it was alleged to be the spirit of someone who had done wrong and it could be summoned and used. Um, Another one that I put in the book was the... um, old hike although I changed the name in the book I used Trinity the Trinidadian name instead but this this creature I love and mm-hmm. I don't want to like go too much into detail because I do want to use the creature in like another story but I'm gonna add my own little twist so um they're like vampires essentially and they shed their skin to fly through the night and suck blood from people and I'm learning all of this at 11 and I absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely loved it I just thought it was the coolest like, thing yes, and if you wanted More. to catch one then you had to put like salt and pepper on its skin I would do that if I ever came across skin out there in, <laughs> in somewhere lots of these like very specific traditions that were just so different to me like growing up in England hearing about the boogeyman who like hides under your bed I mean he's not shedding his skin and flying through the night to suck blood from me no it's got a lot more flavor yeah what does the boogeyman even want he's just creeping there like there's no there's no motivation no I watched the Babadook um Mm -hmm. and I always thought that the Babadook was like the boogeyman but yeah what did he do crawl on the ceiling and kind of live in a closet and (laughs) yeah not a lot he wasn't really harming anyone it's just the threat of his existence I guess but being terrified of things that are unknown is probably not the best thing in the world oh no but I I just love this image of 11 year old you being like tell me more about these vampires what does the skin look like do I need to start carrying salt and pepper around all the time literally like and how do I call one of these rolling calves to me like how 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 does this happen I always wanted a dog and this feels like it would just be a giant dog and I'm not scared I'm just curious <laughs> I I love that and I'm I'm very curious how I guess you went about going from this 11-year-old hearing the stories for the first time to starting to research this for the book or for your own personal interest. Did it start as a personal interest thing and then turn into the book? Or was it more like, I want to write this book, I need to learn as much as possible? It was a little bit of both. I carried it with me for 10 years and I had read like a slew of YA fantasy that I loved and I didn't see myself in the protagonist it was more like you know (laughs) conceitedly what if they cast this movie like I'm never going to be cast in the lead I'm never going to be the leading role not there's like no mention of the fact that I shouldn't be acting in public and no one should ever witness (laughs) 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 pretending to like fight someone or whatever I wanted that movie I wanted that story where I'd be able to to be the leading lady or leading character so I just decided to write it and I was like what would I want to read about? 
I'd want to read about witches. I'd want to read about this dark world that feels as much a character as the actual physical characters who are doing stuff and it dictates what they can and can't do. And I loved, loved learning about Obia magic uh, when I was a kid. And so I just, and my personal taste, I've always loved things that are a little bit darker and fiction. That was what I was going to write about. So I asked lots of questions I spoke with like my aunts in Jamaica I mean I was reading stuff and then on like Google or whatever and then it would say you know some of these texts if you read the words then you're inviting the darkness into your house oh boy I know and I was like hmm I mean on the one hand I've grown up in England so there's a healthy amount of skepticism towards most things but I'm also Jamaican and I've had my aunts like Someone made me these business cards when I was literally, I had I had no business having these business cards <laughs> so young. And they had like little sparkles on them. And uh, one of my aunts was visiting from Jamaica and she was like, you have to, you have to throw those out. Like that's, that's dark magic, those things on the cards. And I was like, well, whatever. But um, as a grown up, I was a little bit more respectful to these things I was reading. I was like, I don't really want to invite anything into my house. I mean, I've watched Annabelle and I've watched like The Conjuring and, and I, I'm aware of, you know, I'm, I don't want to tempt fate. I'm a skeptic, but I'm also a pragmatist. And, you know, realistically, maybe I, I should leave those things away. <laughs> so lots of things came firsthand from like aunts and cousins and stuff. They, they, they were great when I was researching. That's so awesome. And to like have that family connection to the story that you were kind of retelling and uh, bringing new life to is so so fascinating. <laughs> yeah, they were, they were great. I think for me, I kind of you sink into the world, don't you? You like immerse yourself in, in it and you're not necessarily, I wasn't really appreciating. Well, I was appreciating what I was hearing as I was putting it into the story, but it isn't now that it's all kind of over and the books should be printed now or will be printed soon. The final copies that I'll be like, oh, wow, I this, this story is the culmination of like years of love of something. And then also like my family who were fantastic and at answering all my questions and like giving me little sayings to put in the book. And yeah, that's amazing. it's weird. <laughs> it's weird, but great. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, beautiful cover art, by the way. I'm very excited to get a physical copy for myself. Uh, I have literally nothing to do with that. My idea for the cover was so different. <laughs> <laughs> I'm complimenting the book as a whole. I think it's gorgeous and it really fits uh, what I was picturing as I was reading the book. So. Oh, great. The uh, Ashley Straker, he's the illustrator. Mm -hmm. He, uh, When I saw the renderings, I was just like, wow. I literally wanted to have like a symbol on the book. I didn't want any faces. And the color palette was going to be like black and white. And then the head of marketing, she's Caribbean. And she was like, no, this is a Jamaican fantasy. It's going to look like a Jamaican fantasy. So we're going to add green and gold and we're going to put girls on the cover. And, and I was like, yes, ma'am. Okay. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Whatever you say. <laughs> You're the boss. Julia, weirdly, one of the things that is bringing me anxiety right now is the fact that I can see my friends again. I don't think I'm the only one who is feeling this, where as, you know, it becomes possible to hang out with people, it's like, oh my gosh, what will that be like? Will it be different? Will I be tired? What does this look like? And just a million different thoughts in your head that, with my particular flavor of brain, is really hard to turn off and really hard to kind of put into context and be like, don't worry about that right now, self. Let's just go to sleep, maybe, because maybe being well-rested is good for my health and mental well-being. Well, someone in their 
there, did not get the message. So that is why I really appreciate that I have calm to turn to in those, you know, tossing and turning sort of anxiety filled moments. And Calm is the number one mental wellness app. It gives you the tools that improve the way you feel, whether that's guided daily meditations, curated music tracks, and of course, their imaginative and very soothing sleep stories. Check out Lucy Lou's. They're incredible. And Calm right now is offering listeners of the show a special limited time promotion of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash spirits. That is C-A-L-M dot C-O-M slash spirits for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. One more time, calm.com slash spirits. Now I can just turn on Calm and not worry about maybe going to the zoo and having a panic attack in front of the zebras. You know? Hooray! <laughs> Amanda, because it is nearly summer, one of my favorite things to do is learn a new skill over the summer because I just, you know, I feel like I have a little bit more free time. The days are longer. There's more hours in the day. There's not actually, but it feels like there are. And there is nothing better than like getting better at a thing. So I highly recommend going to the online classes from Skillshare in order to make learning something new possible. You can learn stuff like illustration, design, photography, productivity, and more. I started taking a class that I've been really, really liking. If you follow my Instagram or my Twitter, you know that I've been doing a lot of embroidery lately. But I also picked up recently a watercolor kit because I saw this class, Watercolor in the Woods, a beginner's guide to painting the natural world with this woman, Rosalie Hazlett, who is a nature illustrator. And it just reminds me of all those cool scientific drawings that you would see in books that like naturalists would do. And that's always a skill that I wanted to have. And now I feel like I'm finally accomplishing that. So thank you, Skillshare, for that. Hell yeah. So with Skillshare's classes, you can move that creative journey forward without putting life on hold. So explore your creativity today at Skillshare.com spirits, where our listeners get a free trial of premium membership. That is two weeks free at Skillshare.com spirits. So something that I didn't count on when starting my own business is how much time all the little stuff takes up. Getting insurance, paying bills, chasing down other people who need to pay me and my bills, and sending out stickers and pins and packages also takes a long time. Mail can also really be expensive, especially if you pay retail price. I didn't realize that company discounts for shipping services is a thing, but that is why if you have an online business, getting a discount with a company like ShipStation is essential. No matter what you're selling, ShipStation funnels all of your online orders into one interface that you can even access on your phone, which is super helpful. They have discounts to major carriers so you can compare quotes and choose the best one for you every time. So if you want to ship more in less time, you can just use my offer code SPIRITS to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no hassle and stress-free shipping. Just go to ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in SPIRITS. That's ShipStation.com, enter offer code SPIRITS. Make ship happen. And now let's get back to the show. Did you grow up wanting to be a writer? I feel like Julie and I were both huge readers growing up, and that was definitely in the back of my mind. Like, oh, well, I, you know, I read so many books, like clearly my name should be on one of these spines one day. Was that true for you? No. <laughs> I took it for granted. I definitely was a huge reader growing up. Like I read everything my parents were reading for the longest time. So I am second from youngest and I took like the hand-me-downs from my older brothers, their books, and I'd sneak whatever my parents were reading, like <laughs> Memoirs of a Geisha. I read that along with Point Horror and along with The Hobbit. And it wasn't really until I like heard about Twilight and I heard that she wrote that book based on a dream. I was like 15. And I thought that was the coolest thing. And that was the first time when I really realized, oh, wait, people write these things. This is yeah. something you can do 
for a career. You could be a writer. All those little short stories that I've been jotting down on notepads or paper, I could do that for a living. And that's when things really clicked, <laughs> um, embarrassingly late in life. <laughs> That's okay. You got there. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even think about seeing my name on a spine. It There seemed to be so many hurdles. And I think how my brain kind of works, I categorize things in steps. Like this is the first step, write the book. Next step, get an agent. Next step, sell to a publisher. But when I was at the writing of the book stage, I wasn't thinking about what was to come. I was kind of just focused on that moment and getting that thing, that thing done. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> that sounds healthy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just being in the moment, not living for like, okay, well, the next step is this, and then being paralyzed by the like idea of having to take all of those multiple steps to get published. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe, maybe it was like, I wish I could say that that was what I was actively doing, but I just, I'm like hyper-focused. I'll just zone in on one thing and then okay, what's next? So I don't ever kind of, I didn't ever really give myself time, like you said, to worry about what was to come, but it did backfire like after I had the agent and then she's like, so do you have a list of editors that you want to send this to? Is there anyone you really would love to work with? And like, I was what? just there like, oh, no. <laughs> You're like, what? What are, what are editors? I don't understand. No, I'm kidding. Like I was just, I was just thinking about you. I not ready for this next part. Mm -hmm. How do you think that will be different moving into future books that you write? Well, I have I've sold another series. It hasn't announced yet. Um, Congrats. Speaking of the bogeyman, he might play a role in this next series. <gasps> Exciting. Who can say? Who can say? Keep an eye out. Yeah. And so I had a list of editors. I was ready this time around for my, my then agent. And I, I'm more prepared. And I sort of going through it this time around has definitely made me more ready for the next time. Lots of things have now become like, I guess, not innate, so to speak, but more, I'm more conscious of them. And so I get those things in place as I'm working and, and so on and so forth. Nice. So besides talking to the family that you had in Jamaica and had these stories firsthand, what were the kind of go-to resources and stories that you were looking for when you started doing the research for the book? So because I'd gone to Rose Hall and I read the book, The White Witch of Rose Hall, there's a fictionalized version and a non-fiction. And mm. I, read the, I read the story because obviously. <laughs> so I read that and that was kind of my the foundation for my research and then speaking with my family but there weren't really any books youtube i watched mm. youtube after like videos and i watched some documentaries but largely because it's a fantasy i kind of was like you can you can kind of do what you want as long as you're being respectful and that was i guess my biggest hurdle like my first books that i wrote they weren't fantasy they were like a uh, contemporary fantasy adjacent because i didn't <laughs> think i had the imagination to make up a world. I just didn't think I could do it. And so that was like my biggest hurdle was you can do this and you can put this in the book. Like who's to say you can't do it? It's not historical. It's it's your story. Does this tie in with what you were hoping to achieve at the end um, for the end result? Yes, then great. No, then leave it out. And that was kind of, that was, that was kind of it. It was like freeing when I accepted that this wasn't, this didn't have to be historically accurate. <laughs> yeah, I, I asked that mostly because I don't want 
anyone who's interested in like writing a book in the future, you don't have to spend hours, you know, digging into anthologies in the library and like getting really into like the encyclopedic definition of these gods and goddesses that you want to draw inspiration from. Like as long as you're being respectful, you can create a world that is uh, beautiful and luscious and full, just like your book. For sure. Oh, thank you. Totally. 155 million percent. You do not have to spend hours. I'm not one of those writers. I get too excited. I can't like sit and just kind of, you know, people fill out tables or questionnaires. What's your climate in the world like? And what do they wear? And how is income produced? And I looked at these things and I was like, nah, this is, that's not who I am. I'm kind of a I'll muddle through and figure things out as I go along. But yeah, no, you definitely don't have to be. Yes. You don't have to do a bunch of bunch of research. I promise. It's fiction. It's okay, guys. I mean, it's still hard, but we have it easier than those writing historical fantasy Yep. Yep, for sure. We interviewed an author yesterday who had the exact opposite approach to uh, world building <laughs> and and writing fiction. That's very exciting for me because as a person myself, like I spend so much time kind of like resisting or like wishing my brain were different or my ways were different. It is nice to hear people be like, this is my style and I, I run with it, you know, like it's different from other people. This is what works for me. And, you know, what's important at the end of the day is that I get to do something that I enjoy in a way I enjoy. For sure. There's a lot of that um, comparison culture isn't there this person is doing all these things I have to no I think I was kind of lucky that when I initially started I wasn't on I mean I had Twitter because uh, people at my college had Twitter but I didn't really interact with the writing community so in some ways it was a help in others it was a bit of a hindrance I may have um, written better books sooner if I knew what the hell I was doing but (laughs) but definitely I kind of was on my own and so there wasn't there wasn't that pressure to do this because this famous person is doing it. <laughs> no. And and even though there is that pressure now, definitely don't, you don't have to prescribe to what everyone else is doing. Just do your own thing. Yeah, I feel like every time someone shares like a, oh, Stephen King writing tip or like a Neil Gaiman writing tip, people take that as gospel. And I just don't think that if that works for them, that's awesome. And people should try it if what they're doing now isn't working for them. But to like hold one idea of how writing should be done is just silly because everyone's brain works different. Definitely. I think learning your strengths and weaknesses, too, will help you filter what kind of information you're taking in. So I knew that from people who'd read my work that uh, my structuring was terrible. And I wasn't always, sometimes I'd be too obsessed with pretty words and descriptions and oh, plot, what the hell's that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so knowing that those were things that I needed to work on meant that the help that I was looking up, they were like really tailored and specific to my weakest areas and, and working on making those strengths. So definitely rather than copying or like relying on those quotes, I mean, I know I have someone, I know someone who reads one of the Stephen King books on writing, or if there's only one, then she reads that. And that's what she reads before she starts writing her stories in the morning i read fiction before i start writing in the morning i don't you know read advice but that that it just think different things work for different people so it's like you both said yeah try on different hats while we're on the subject what is your routine and structure what do you like to read and kind of surround yourself with while you're writing oh routine and structure do you remember those before (laughs) i know what's a routine i don't i just sit in my in front of my computer all day now and yeah you can just say none i mean when i get out of bed that's definitely what i try to do (laughs) um so i'm researching a different book at the moment and so i'm reading lots of thrillers but um i like to immerse myself in the genre that i am writing 
as I am reading. But again, that's what works for me. It doesn't work for everyone. I know someone else who can't read fantasy when she's writing fantasy. I'm reading lots of thrillers, but I'm also, I love, I've always loved a thriller. So even if I was writing Witches Steeped in Gold, two, I'd still read a thriller. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily matter so long as my creative well is being filled. I don't limit myself with word counts. Even if I'm on deadline, I am more of like I focus on chapters more so than word count. I guess it just depends, really. I don't. One thing that's consistent, one thing I can cling on to is the fact that I don't write every day. I just I mm. don't do it. I get way too burnt out, too tired. Even though I work, I write full time. I am... Um, and so I have the time to write every day. I just, I just don't. I don't. I don't even read every day. That's one thing that's consistent is just giving myself time off. Um, I just don't don't be like me. I wish I was like I wake up at six and then I work out until seven <laughs> no. and then I have like a coffee and then I sit down and, and bleed at my computer for five hours before getting up. <laughs> but I I don't. <laughs> But that's why I think it's it's important for people to hear that too. And you know why I ask, not because I want to hear the same thing I see on Twitter, which is like, get up at six and do my morning pages and like work out extensively and then like write for seven hours because that's not how everybody works. And I would say how most people work. Right. And like, imagine doing the thing that you do for work, listener who is listening to this right now. Imagine doing that every single day until a project is done. I couldn't even possibly imagine not being able to take like small breaks or work on different things or something like that. Like I wouldn't be able to write every day if writing was my job. That seems impossible. No, it's I mean, there are some robots who do it. And I'm kind <laughs> I of like, don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I'm in awe. I'm like, how, but how do you how? Where I just know. I just can't. And I mean, maybe if I did, I wouldn't have these moments where it's like, oh no, my book is due in a week and I've got to write five thousand words a day. But it's just <laughs> I don't know. It's my process. It's what kind of mostly works for me, I guess. I mean I have a book. A book is coming out. So clearly <laughs> Something something works. Exactly. You whatever you're doing works for you. And I think I think it's important for people to hear that as well. Because you know, knowing yourself, knowing what works for you, forgiving yourself, you know, taking the right amount of input, time, rest, all that stuff that you need to enjoy your life and also do your work, I think is is admirable. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Shannon, is there anything that you haven't touched on that you would love to talk about or wish people asked you about in, in interviews about this book? I'd love to talk about structure, actually. Sure. I think because so structure is like, I guess, another, I hope anyway, that it becomes a bit of a hallmark of mine. I love working towards twists in the story. And that's definitely something I spend the most time on. So structure, I guess, is my equivalent of those sheets that you can get from Pinterest with the climate <laughs> and the technology and all of that stuff. That's what I, I really love to look at. So it's not just kind of like when reveals are going to be made, but definitely things like mirroring, like introducing something here and then coming back to it at the end of the story so for which is steeped in gold because it's a dual pov i had to find a way to make era and jasmine's stories come together but also keep their narratives original and separate it was difficult it's one of my favorite parts of any book is just thinking about how i'm going to tell this narrative in the best possible way to cause my readers immense pain and suffering <laughs> um and, and and yeah so I love like the opening part of which is steeped in gold is one of my favorite things to write once I worked with my editor and I got my letter and it was like okay we need to slow this down and add this here and whatever else and so setting that up was a lot of fun for me and I definitely think 
there's lots of emphasis on plot and character and that was lots of fun as well but structure and making really smart choices about how this narrative was going to unfold and then what was going to happen at the end that was a lot of a lot of fun for me well actually part one and two were definitely planned but part three was was kind of like a by the seat of my pants what have I done in part one and two and then (laughs) okay how can those things come together for part three so structure Mm -hmm. Is definitely my favorite, my favorite part of writing. Is that something you notice in other books? Like you mentioned thrillers. And to me, that's my favorite part of a thriller is like, I know from the page count, actually both thriller and romance. I'm like, I know from the page count how much is left, exactly what needs to happen. And yet I am aghast every time. Like, how dare you do this to me? (laughs) (laughs) Those are the best stories though, isn't it? When they're, it's like the, the point horror, they're so formulaic, you know, she's going to meet him and, and then they're going to run into some trouble and there's going to be some bad stuff. And then at the end, things will all be okay. But you just love it. There's like safety in the structure in a lot of stories as well. Yeah. What I also really appreciated uh, that I think some dual point of view books kind of suffer from is you very clearly were able to get the tone of your characters across when switching the point of view. I feel like sometimes in other books like that can get a little muddled, but like I knew the Jasmine chapters without having to look to see at the beginning of the chapter who was talking. You know what I mean? Yeah, their void, they were, Jasmine, she actually, she gave me a lot of trouble. Era was easy. We are... Maybe most alike. So, it, it, and and she's the character that I, I love. The kind of devil may care, very irreverent <laughs> character. Her kind of steel was definitely less obvious than Ira's. So, um, thank you for saying that. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> You can tell the difference between the two. Uh, I started writing the book, and it was in third person. So, changing it to first person, I think that all happened really quickly. So, like. We worked on the voice and refining voice and Jasmine more so than Era, although I did have to make Era a little bit um, more likable. <laughs> I liked her from the moment she got introduced, so you're good there. Yeah, <laughs> she uh, she does she does some bad things. Like I said at the very beginning, that's I just love a female character who's unapologetic about doing bad things. Like you get it, you go get what you want. That's fine with me. But um, yeah, no, they Era was Era was easier. But then in the sequel, I had the opposite. Era was harder and Jasmine has been the easier voice to write. So, yeah. They just switch on you sometimes, huh? (laughs) Wily, wily characters. (laughs) I am like two thirds of the way through right now, so I'm not quite angry with you yet, but I've I've been loving it. (laughs) Almost spoiled. Well, um, yeah, there are... I just annotated a chapter for a book box and um, I, so I got to go into why I made certain choices with the narrative and so on and so forth um, and that was a lot of fun for me to kind of crack open my skull and be like so this is what's going on <laughs> and um, this is why I'm saying I hope it hurts because I've <laughs> like laid all of these seeds to to bloom to the, like this thicket to bloom this like twisty thorny bush not like a but with like roses, so it's pretty, but ma- mainly I want it to, to be twisty and, and dark and, and yeah. Wild roses. Yes. There you go. Very poetic. <laughs> well, that's all I think I have. Julia, how about you? That's it. I, I'm just so pleased that we were able to talk about this. And I was so glad that we were able to have you on the show, Shannon, and talk about your wonderful, wonderful book. Thank you both, Julia and Amanda, for inviting me. It's been great. I do have a question, actually, yeah, if you don't mind. Yeah, of course. Who is your fighter? I know, Amanda, you haven't read yet, but Julia, who are you rooting for? Oh, oh, I don't know. I don't know. It's so hard. That's so hard to pick. And I don't want to spoil for anyone, but oh my gosh, I I, I can't decide. I'm sorry. (laughs) 
that's okay. That's fine. I think most people have one answer. Several others have had a different answer. I'm like, that's so interesting. Tell me why immediately. I'll, I'll have to update you when I finish the book, which one, which one's mine. Everybody, there are links in the description of the podcast episode where you can pick up a copy as well as where you can find out more about Shannon. But thank you so, so much for joining us. Thank you so much. And remember everyone, stay creepy, stay cool. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us your urban legends at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Just one dollar gets you access to audio extras with so much more available too. Recipe cards, director's commentaries, exclusive merch, and real physical gifts. We are a founding member of Multitude, a collective of independent audio professionals. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. And above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please share us with your friends. That is the very best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.